a homily for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost in Our Lady of Fatima Shrine. My dear friends, in today's Gospel, we read that the Pharisees asked our Lord the great question that was debated at that time. What is the greatest commandment of all? To us as Catholics, it seems surprising that this was such a big question at that time. The answer is obvious, once we have heard the Gospel. But for the Hebrews at that time, it was a real doubt. Remember that Moses had left for them hundreds of commandments and rules, going all the way from political, medical, to moral and religious. Now among all of these, the learned men of the time debated which one should be the greatest. But my dear friends, that men make this mistake, that men are unaware of what is the greatest commandment of all, this should come as no surprise. It goes to show that men without guidance are prone to fall into error. We are prone to fall into error, without guidance and instruction, and specifically, without the guidance of the true Church. For an example, suffice it to think of the Protestant denominations in our day, and how far they have fallen into error and ignorance. Because Protestant denominations have gone even further. They have gone to say that there is not even the need to keep the commandments. Now, if it is bad to ignore which one is the greatest commandment of all, as these Hebrews did, how bad should it be to deny the commandments themselves? So, my dear friends, in today's sermon, I would like to speak against some of the greatest errors regarding the commandments. I'll speak first of the error of the Protestants, the error that says that there is no need to keep the commandments. Then I will speak of the error of the Novus Ordo Church, the Vatican II Church, which entire, <coughs> excuse me, entirely forgets the first commandment to emphasize, supposedly, the second one. And finally, I will speak of some of the most common errors of Catholics regarding the commandments. Let us go first then to the error of the Protestants. We could summarize the Protestant thinking into this phrase. They say, to go to heaven, all you need to do is have faith. You don't need good works, because Christ has done everything for you. Now, when they say that you don't need good works, what they really mean to say is you don't need to keep the commandments, because what else could it mean? Now, to this, the immediate answer from Catholics is, Imperfect faith alone does not suffice to be saved. In order to be saved, faith has to be complete, that is, it must be accompanied with the love of God, which is charity. And if you don't have the love of God in your soul, you cannot be saved, because your faith is incomplete. So, to put it in other words, for Catholics, we say that there are two kinds of faith. One would be dead faith, and the other one is a living faith. Dead faith is a faith without works, a faith that is incomplete. For example, the faith of a person that lives in sin. A person might be falling into a sin, for example, of impurity or theft or lying. But at the same time, this person believes everything that the church believes. This person has the faith, but it's an incomplete faith. It's a faith without charity, without love. And this faith, as I said, cannot save you. 
Now, don't get me wrong, it is still a good thing to have the faith, even if one is in sin. But it needs to be completed with love. It needs to become the other kind of faith, which is what we call a living faith. That means it is a faith that is informed, completed by the love of God, by charity. This faith is accompanied then with two aspects. One, to abstain from sin, we abstain from evil deeds. And the other, we keep the commandments of Christ also in a positive way, by doing acts of virtue, good acts. This is the faith that leads to salvation. The, the faith that is accompanied also by hope and charity, a complete faith, a living faith. Now the Bible-believing Protestant will come and give us some quotes from St. Paul and some quotes from the Gospel where our Lord says, Your faith has made you whole, or your faith has saved you. But our Lord means the complete faith. And how do you prove that? Because when you read the Gospels, you see that our Lord clearly says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. How is it possible that you could go to heaven if you don't love God? And if you love God, here our Lord tells us you keep the commandments. But also our Lord says repeatedly in other parts of the Gospel. He says, for example, Not all who call me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father. He who does the will of my Father, he will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in another part of the Gospel, he says that unless our justice exceeds that of the Pharisees, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He meant to say, unless we truly keep the commandments. And in today's Gospel, when our Lord is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He says, not, you should not keep the commandments, he doesn't say, oh, you must only believe in me. He says what we all as good Catholics know, that the first commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and then the second commandment is thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself, and that we must keep these commandments if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven. So my dear friends, we see the proof even in the Bible, and even for most Protestants, this should be enough. But we must be clear about something else before we pass to the next point. By saying this, we Catholics don't believe that we are saved by our own works. We don't believe that our own good deeds, separated from the merits of Christ, save us. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved solely by the merits of Christ. But that precisely through the merits of Christ, we receive the grace and power to do good works, and to have faith, hope, and charity. We believe that it is the merits of Christ and the passion of Christ that enable us to be good, to keep the commandments, and thus to be saved. My dear friends, let us now pass to the error of the modernists, the errors of the Second Vatican, of the Vatican II Church. And there, the Vatican II Church has come to a similar monstrosity. The teaching, perhaps not said out loud by all the priests, perhaps you don't hear it out loud and in these words in all your parishes, in all the new modern parishes, but you certainly hear it from the false popes and you certainly hear it from the hierarchy, is this. The error is that they deny, they neglect, they constantly break the first commandment of God. 
The commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, which is also said in these words in your catechism, all these words which we memorized as a child. Thou shalt have no strange gods before me. Here I would like to make something clear to you, my dear friend. Many Catholics are confused about what is the issue with Vatican II. Why do we resist Vatican II? Why are we not following? Why do we separate ourselves from the dioceses? Why do we not go to our local parish church? What are we fighting for? Is it really that bad what they are doing? Or is it just small changes? Is it just that we like Latin and they don't? And today, my dear friends, I would like to clarify this. I would like to tell you it is not only the Mass. It is not only the Latin, the rites, the forms of the sacraments. It is not only the modesty in dress that we fight, that we resist. The reason why we resist, the reason for our struggle, is this precisely that I've been mentioning, the first commandment, the very most important one, the one our Lord commands us today, Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This means, thou shalt not worship Buddha, as John Paul II allowed in Assisi. This means, thou shalt not take the mark of Shiva, as the same false pope did while he was visiting India. This means, thou shalt not worship in the false, expired religion of Judaism, as all these false popes have done. Thou shalt not worship Allah, or his supposed teachings, and kiss the Koran, as John Paul II has done, as Bergoglio, Benedict XVI, and Paul VI have done, as Vatican II itself in its documents, wor uh, not worship, but praised the Islam and the teachings of Allah. It says, this commandment says, Thou shalt not have an idol in the gardens of the Vatican, and command supposed Catholics to bow down before it, as Bergoglio did with the South American idol of the Pachamama in the very same gardens of Rome. It says, Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Awake then, my fellow Catholics, and realize once and for all that our struggle against Vatican II is not about the Latin Mass only. It is not about the nice vestments, or not having altar girls, or the long skirts and veils. It is about the most important matter, the most important commandment of all. Thou shalt have no strange gods before me. And that's why, my dear friends, every resistance that we do, every effort that we make, is worth the while. And there can be no concession or pretense of approval of this false hierarchy. They pretend to love their neighbor, while at the same time trampling upon God and his worship and revelation. But in doing so, in trampling upon the first commandment, they commit, yes, a terrible sin against God, but also a terrible sin against their neighbor. So they keep neither of them, because to their neighbor they deprive of the opportunity of saving their souls by removing the false, the true religion and the true revelation and the true worship from them. With this then, my dear friends, we come to the final point of our sermon. 
And that is that, yes, Protestants do errors regarding the commandments. Uh, obviously, Vatican II Church is, all, is the same. Catholics, although we know our catechism, oftentimes we find that by forgetting what we learned as a child, or perhaps not keeping our studies, we come to sustain, to keep certain errors regarding the Ten Commandments as well. And so I would like today to remind you of some of these things, of some of these common errors about the Ten Commandments. The first one is this. For every Catholic, it is our duty to know by heart the Ten Commandments and the commandments of the Church. Now, if today, sitting in the pews, listening to me, if you try to quiz yourself on the Ten Commandments and the commandments of the Church, and you realize that you don't know them, or that you're not fully sure of what they mean, it would be a sin if you don't inform yourself, if you don't study them and memorize them, because of how important they are. You cannot neglect this. For every Catholic, it is also our duty to know full well the difference between a mortal sin and a venial sin. In other words, to know what sins send us to hell and which sins do not. Now, obviously, all sin is to be avoided, even the one that doesn't send us to hell directly. But we should know this distinction especially because if you have a mortal sin in your conscience, you should refrain from approaching communion or matrimony or confirmation or any of the sacraments that require your soul to be in the grace of God. So you need to know which sins require of you to go to confession and which do not. Now, in this regards, there is one common misconception, especially regarding the sins against purity. People tend to think that sins against purity are only mortal when certain actions are committed, and otherwise they're venial. They tend to think, for example, oh well, if I had a thought, maybe it's not, it's not a mortal sin, or if it was only for a few minutes, it wasn't a mortal sin. Only if I take it into action will it be a mortal sin. That's not true. It is not true. The case is that when it comes to sins against purity, every sin will be mortal if there was clear consent, clear knowledge, and the will to commit it. So, for example, if there was an impure thought, even if it was for a few minutes, if there was full consent and full knowledge of what was happening and I wanted to do it, then it is a mortal sin, if, even if there was no action. The same applies if there was a look in the street. And even if it was for a few seconds, but if I did consent, if I am fully certain that I did consent to that, and I made that decision at some point to do that, then it is a mortal sin, and it prevents us from receiving communion until it is confessed. When it comes to purity, every, more, every sin will be mortal if there was consent, knowledge, and the will to commit it. To end, my dear friends, there is another thing that is good to mention. It is, good, uh, it is a good thing to go to confession, at the very least, at least once a month. Even if one doesn't have any mortal sins, you can only confess, you can confess, for example, venial sins alone. You should be sorry for them if you confess them, obviously. But the reason why it is good to go to confession, even if we don't have mortal sins at that time, unforgiven mortal sins, I should say, is because the sacrament of confession 
Not only does it give you the forgiveness of sin, but it also gives you strength to sin no more. It also gives you an augmentation of grace. And in order to receive this strength, in order to receive more grace, to continue persevering in your good deeds, in your good actions, and stay away from sin, it is good to go to confession frequently. My dear friends, as we continue Mass today, let us appreciate the guidance of the Church that acts towards us as the guidance of Jesus Christ himself. Against the error of the Protestants that say we shouldn't keep the commandments, against the error of the Vatican II sect that says that we should not keep the first commandment, the Catholic Church tells us to keep them both and to persevere in them, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, and have no strange gods before him and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.